when two Division I athletes discuss the challenges and successes of navigating life after competing, you get conversations designed by athletes for athletes. I'm Don Sutton. And I'm Brooke Beerhouse, sharing with the athletic community stories and insights to better understand life when your sport ends. Today, on When Your Sport Ends, we will be interviewing a former teammate of mine, Austin Serhoff. Austin swam with me at the University of Texas and is currently the assistant swim coach at John Hopkins University. He runs swim clinics around the country for the Fitter Faster Swim Tour and was previously an assistant for the University of Virginia swim team as well as a former professional swimmer. We wanted to start out with something a little bit different this time, and for the the next few episodes, we want to give a little bit of an introduction while still keeping a conversation going between ourselves, because we've realized that maybe we haven't shared as much uh, little anecdotes with everyone as you've requested, so we are listening, we heard you, and now we're doing a little intro before getting to talk to Austin today. So one of the things that Don and I had talked about before that actually correlates with Austin is you snore. Yeah. Yeah. And horrible snore. Austin snores, right? Yeah. And you two were always on. How did that work? You were always paired together because you snored so much that no one else wanted to be in the same room with you on, on yeah, my, travel team. My junior year when I was on the travel team, uh, Serhoff, who equally snores, had just paired us together. Made total sense when you think about it. Does, it. it makes just, sense. The two loudest snorers on the team go together. But uh, before on travel meets... It was, uh, I was, I think I was just dreaded. <laughs> People didn't, especially light sleepers. Cause oh. when I hit the bed, I would go to sleep and then I would lights out pretty much right off the bat. <laughs> Not the best. <laughs> well, it's funny. With. It's funny because I, I mean, I know you snore. It's not, it's not awful though. Honestly, mm. when you told me that you snored, I was worried that it was going to be like a freight train or something. And it's not that bad because of the amount of places that I've slept in my life in hostels and tents where I didn't, it, things were loud and, um, people's couches and stuff. So I am a light sleeper. So I'm used to sleeping with the earplugs, um, which coincidentally is a great thing for you. And it's a great thing for me now. Yeah. Because I'm comfortable sleeping with the earplugs and you can snore all you want and I won't hear you. Well, good. I was planning on doing that anyway. Yeah. Well. Probably should work on figuring out how to not do that. I hear it's not the best for sleeping. Snoring? Yeah. Yeah. They do say that if you're, it's worse if you sleep on your back and it's worse if you've been drinking. Mm-hmm. And I've noticed it is worse if if you've had. A few. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. But. Not awful. No. Could be worse. Well, that's good. That's good to hear. Because apparently I was really bad way back in the day. Maybe it's just because I was so tired from everything. From that working could out be it and too. Swimming. And I mean, you've been, your flexibility in your back and stuff has has grown over the last couple of years. And usually yeah. they say that's tied to it too. Is Flexibility is yeah. key. I don't know. I think 
I think tall people just have natural lower back problems. Mm-hmm. And if I don't stretch, I'm going to have lower back problems. Yeah. Like it, it just hurts. I don't know why. Probably something yeah. to do with the growing pains when you were younger. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. Uh, maybe humans just aren't meant to be this tall yet. <laughs> well, speaking of being tall, we're talking to another tall teammate of yours. Yes. Austin Serhoff. And with that, my boy, your boy, <laughs> enjoy this conversation. Don has told me a lot about you, so I'm excited to, to get to learn more and to talk. And I've been, you know, just looking up stuff and really excited to hear about um, your transition into coaching from and then also you're still training, right? Well, there's there's been a pause in the in the last week or so. Um, yeah. My goodness, yeah. But yes, I before that point, I had been training as, as a, a side thing that I do. Yeah. That's and awesome. you made Olympic trials, correct? I did. I got my first ever... Hang on, there's a siren. I'm in uh, I'm in a row home in downtown Baltimore, so you're probably going to hear some sounds. No, that's fine. Um, yeah, I got my first 50 free Olympic trials cut, which was a big deal. Because um, while Don was over in the sprint lane at University of Texas, I was on the other side of the pool doing 400 IM sets. So, oh, wow. Being a little bit to, different. A little yeah, different. Yeah. And um, Brooke, what was your event when you were doing track and field? I was steeplechase in the mile. Oh my. So that was more distance, yeah. So were you ever jealous of the 100 and the 200 runners? Every the day. Sprint? Yeah, so that's how, that's it's the same thing for swimmers too. And so now I actually get to live the life that I was jealous of, and it's pretty sweet. You said Don's told you a lot about me. The only thing I know that you know about me is what Don shouted out in your interview with him. Oh. And that's that me and Eric Freeland used to sprint warm up all the, all the time. <laughs> and I I just, mean, that tells me a lot, you know? Yeah. And <laughs> I don't I don't have anything to refute that. It's actually 100 percent true. Um, but I'd <laughs> like to add uh, some flavor to that story, which is throughout high school in my in my training group and my club team. I was at the North Baltimore Aquatic Club, which there was a lot of fast kids in our group at the time when I was there. And I was the slow warm up person. I would lead my lane. Yeah, I would lead my lane because I was either the fastest or one of the fastest guys in our group. And there was this girl on our team. Her name is Elizabeth Pelton. She ended up getting super fast. She made a couple world teams. Oh, wow. But at the time, she was 14. And she would swim super fast and warm up and go right up, you know, go right up. And then I would beat her in sets, but I would get mad at her. And our coach would be like, hey that sort of energy is going to set a world record one day. So leave her alone. I'm like, Oh, okay. So then, <laughs> so then that drove you with the uh, Eric or was that just more of you and Eric going at it? <laughs> it well, Eric, it's always fun to go at it with Eric. Cause he'll always be down and he'll never like, at least in right. my experience, he'll never get mad if it's a fair fight. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but when I got to college and I realized that once guys get a bunch of big muscles, they need a lot of time to warm up. But I was super, mm. when I was a freshman, I was like super sprightly and I was new to this whole college training and it felt really good. So I was like, man, maybe I'll just sprint warm up. This is like fun for me. That didn't last long. Once I got older, I was a slow warm up person again. <laughs> as as Don and I have talked about before, everything is tracks. And the track just came full circle from slow in high school, fast warm up college, mm-hmm. and then slow warm up again out of college. Yeah. Uh, Want to touch about that 
or just want to touch on that a little bit. Like uh, you, you had headed to Arizona, right. To go work with your former coach after swimming. Correct. Mm. Yeah. So after college, I swam pro for three years. My first year I was in Texas. Um, I took an extra year of school. So, and I knew I wanted to swim because I graduated in 2013 and I wanted to swim through the 2016 Olympic trials. Oh, or I should say sense. my last varsity year was 13. So <laughs> I wasn't going to graduate until the spring of 14. So I trained post-grad with the team for a year, which uh, people do t- tend to do once they graduate Texas is they'll train post-grad for a little bit and then they'll go to places like I did. I went back to North Baltimore Aquatic Club after that. And we had an actual postgraduate, you're here to swim, there's no school, this is your life right now kind of group. And we were in Baltimore for a year. And then our coach, Bob, um, took over Arizona State starting in 2015. So a group of us were actually invited to come out with him and train as a postgrad group in Tempe um, from 2015 all the way through the 2016 Olympic trials. So swimming has taken me... Uh, Baltimore, Austin, and Arizona, which I'm pretty happy I got to do all of that. How did you end up deciding to go to North Baltimore Aquatics and then, you know, going out to Tempe and making that transition and kind of making it all your focus? How did that compare between college and pro life? I would say the main difference is your scope um, your perspective. So do you guys know when you're in college athletics, it's a balance. Mm -hmm. So I'd go to practice and (laughs) I now know kids give so much more of their mental energy to swimming than I realized, but I would go, I would go to practice, do my work. I'd go to weights, do my work. Um, Mm -hmm. and then I would go home. And do, you know, sometimes do homework and hang out with friends on weekends and not really think about swimming outside of fun conversations about, oh, we're going to kick Cal's butt this year. Oh, we're going to, you know, I thought of this cool breaststroke tip, but mostly it was go to practice and then go home and have fun and enjoy college. Um, Once I graduated, first of all, school's gone. So that's a huge slice of the pie chart that's completely freed up Mm -hmm. and I made the decision to use that pot, that part of the pie chart just on focusing on swimming. Mm-hmm. So as a post-grad, your entire focus is swimming. And you start to think about swimming as a 24-hour job in terms of I go to practice, I, go, I, I lift weights. Now I'm eating food that's good for me. So there's a nutritional aspect. Right. Um, I'm going to bed on time. And then um, alcohol is really bad for swimming. So consuming less alcohol, um, pretty much just how thinking through everything, like you're wearing glasses and the glasses you see through show you, is this good or bad for swimming at all times? Did you like that aspect being more of the, the scope of things or did you find yourself looking for other outlets to sort of give your mind a break from swimming? Um, I'd say like all things, there's two sides of that answer. Yeah. I really liked being an athlete. Um, like if I could, if I could start it up again, I would say, yeah, I'd do that again. If, if there, if there was an economic boon to it, but, um, the tough part about doing it when I did it. So from age 23 to 25, just out of college is I just really miss my friends. 
um, losing the team aspect of it is the other side of the coin, which is there weren't friends to just go hang out with on a weekday because they're your college buddies. Um, they're not down the hall from you in your dorm room or your next door neighbors because you all live in the same neighborhood. So losing that was tough. But now that I'm 29 and further along in my life and someone went up to me and was like, hey, you can get the same money you're getting now, but you have to be a full-time athlete. I would say, yeah, I would want to do that. It's really, really cool to just know what you need to do and see everything through a very specific lens. But that's just me. I like hearing you say that because I'm not sure if I right now would be able to do that or not or go back in it. So I like hearing that that's something that you would do, you know, mm-hmm. the different different outlooks on that. What's mm-hmm. it like being a coach then? I want to know more about um, about what you're doing right now and then we'll go back into your college experience. But I'd love to know what life looks like for you at the moment. Sure. Uh, so I'm a coach at the Johns Hopkins University here in Baltimore. And I go in, uh, let's see, five workouts a week. So I'm, I'm a part-time coach. And while I'm there, I run our breaststroke workouts and I run our sprint workouts in our little diving well where we have um, power towers, which are big buckets filled with water, and our power racks, which are belts that attach the swimmer and then they're attached to a weight machine like you're doing lat pull downs or bicep curls or something. That's the best. That is so cool. It it is. Don got to do a lot more of it in college. It's another thing I was very jealous of because now I do it myself and I realize it's such a sweet life. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I'm basically coaching the things I wish I was good at in college, which is breaststroke and sprinting. (laughs) That's awesome. So I would say, I don't know if people will like this if they hear it, but part of my coaching I mean, like I just said, I coach the things I'm not good at. Mm-hmm. It a, lo- a little bit of it is projecting um, the things you wish you had done and kind of guiding your athletes towards doing it the way you wish you had done it. But you have to temper that and not make it their problem, if that makes sense. That so makes not sense. dropping a whole lot of, you know, when I was in college, I did this, but you mm-hmm. need to do it this way. But instead, right. instead, just being like, hey, I just know from experience, it's really good for you to do this this way. Do you think that extra pro uh, years made you really want to dive into coaching? You're just like, this is it. This is the sport. I want to stay in it. I want to teach what I've learned. Or has it just kind of carried over into regular life. <laughs> yeah, you'd think it would just because I stuck with it so long. Um, right. I'll give you your answer, but and it might be good to dive into it more later because I think it's the whole theme of your podcast. When I was when I swam pro, I didn't realize it at first and I realized it at the end is I was really, really wearing down my love for the sport down to a very, very small nub. Um, mm-hmm. I, I realized now I kept doing it, A, because... I thought I would regret quitting if I didn't go through 2016 because I ended up doing, I did really well in 2012 and I thought I could take another step forward Mm -hmm. and B um, because it was a routine. It's all I really knew how to do. (laughs) Yeah. I uh, only ever wanted to be an athlete my whole life. Both my parents were athletes. Um, I grew up in a house till I was 15 where my dad was an athlete. So that's what I watched and looked up to. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was lucky enough that my dad was a professional baseball player. So all I really, all I ever really knew myself wanting was to be an athlete. 
Mm-hmm. So the tough thing is I was doing it and I didn't realize this. I was doing it in a way that kind of made me miserable um, to no fault of anybody I was with. Just the training was a lot. It was going back to the type of training I did in high school where I'm training for, you know, really long events and we do 8,000 yards in a practice and there's, yeah. And you know, there's 10 people in a group and they're not really friends. They all just kind of hang out together and have individual goals for themselves. So anyway, I take that through 2016. I don't do well at trials and I'm very burned out. And I was also a little embarrassed because I had just put three years of my life into something that didn't end up panning out in mm-hmm. in my swim to the Olympic trials, whereas my friends were off getting internships. Don got a master's degree and by that time was doing pretty well for himself. And so I thought, man, I got to just kick swimming to the curb, like mm-hmm. stay away from it, never go back. And I got to do something really cool in something else to kind of make up for what I missed. And a year of that didn't really go very well. And so I found coaching and I realized, well, you know, I really miss swimming. (laughs) This is pretty nice. Mm -hmm. And working with college athletes is great because they're old enough that you can talk to them like I'm talking to you guys right now. Right. But they're also young enough that still that they're moldable and you can make an impact on their lives. Oh, I bet that's a really rewarding and neat to see. And throughout the four years, then pro- progress. Mm-hmm. I, I'd like that. You Or even just from one meet to the next, even one season. Yeah. That's yeah. neat. I have, I've, I've actually gotten, because, you know, the the frog that's in the pot of, that slowly starts to boil. You guys ever heard of the frog in the yep. boiling yeah. pot? The, the frog doesn't notice that it's boiling, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Same way you might not notice changes in your athletes over time, but I've, I've gotten a really cool perspective with the Hopkins athletes because I coached them in 2017, 2018. Yeah. And then I left for a year to go coach at Virginia and then I came back. So the two classes of athletes that I worked with two years ago, I got to see the stark changes in how they've grown, how they've matured, um, gotten stronger, gotten faster, and that has actually been very cool seeing the contrast and then also how they're also completely the same as great people. And that was, that was a nice part of coaching. I guess I got, I got it in a way that most people would have to take a step back after coaching mm-hmm. their athletes for a long time and take stock of, but I got to see it right away. Yeah. I think that that's a really good uh, point of view taking, moving away and then coming back, you realize how much changes within from an 18 year old to a 22 year old. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Have you, have you read Ed, Eddie Reese's book, his uh, coaching book? Uh, uh, am I going to disappoint you if I said no? Is it, <laughs> no, I, I, think, I think you should. If, if you're going to stay along this path, it's amazing. He actually okay. has one bit about Ian in there. It's, Ian, uh, it's amazing how he just Ian? remembers everybody. Ian Wait. Carbone. Wait, stop. There's an Ian Carbone bit in the book. (laughs) There is. Oh my God. There is an Ian Carbone bit. All right, Don. You're giving me the hard sell here. I guess I'll do it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Ian Carbone. That that man is a legend. Just so that the viewers know, Ian Carbone was a uh, swimmer from Maine. Okay. You know, he came to Texas Mm -hmm. and now he's fishing in Alaska. Oh, that's Ian. <laughs> yeah. 
He <laughs> sends me Snapchats maybe uh, four or five times a week of him just chilling on his boat. Really? Mountains in the oh. background. Yeah, just like, yeah. <laughs> like, just, like each Snapchat could just be like a clip from a nature movie in Alaska. And it's like... <laughs> no kidding. He should be with uh, out with like Paul Nikon or somebody. Yeah. yeah I'll, I'll snap him back like, oh, that looks really crappy, dude. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Tough life. Just let, letting, him, letting him know my spite. Yeah. <laughs> and with that, we're going to take a short break to hear from our sponsors. One of my personal favorite things to do is bet. Sometimes it's just it? taken out. Yeah. You know, sometimes it's just taken out on uh, your friends or just betting on yourself. Mm-hmm. Well, in this hard time that we're at, there's not a lot of sports to bet on. Well, Bet Online actually does have many things that you can bet. Ooh, like what? Martial arts, American Idol. The elections, spelling bee. Spelling bee? The spelling bee. You wow. can bet on the spelling bee, believe it or not. And if you join betonline.ag right now, use promo code MYPOD100, you'll receive a welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's MYPOD100 at betonline.ag. Now, I don't know about you, but our workout gear was so soft and some of my favorite clothes that I still wear to work out in. And I've had a really hard time finding quality workout gear that's not super expensive and have a high price tag. Yeah. Same for you. Well, I like to keep it simple. Mm, Minimalist. Minimalist. Short wardrobe. Having multiple... uh t-shirts for multiple different activities is not ideal yeah so if you want the same t-shirt versatile you can go to true classic tees they're one of our sponsors and i love them because the price tag is cheap 15 dollars for quality product that's super soft and right now you can actually go to trueclassictees.com and use the code b-l-e-a-v at checkout for 20 percent off B-L-E-A-V at trueclassictees.com. You get 20% off of the already low price of $15 a t-shirt. Good. Yeah, no, but I definitely wanted to, um, I think we talked about before, hear how your athletes are doing right now with NCAAs being canceled. How, I mean, could you walk us through a little bit what that was like as a coach um, dealing with your athletes and then also if it spurred anything with you thinking about your own time, if competing in collegiate, um, in nationals, what that would have been like. Yeah, I, I can definitely, uh, take you through that. So that, that situation changed very rapidly. I'm sure you guys have noticed that everything changes day by day with this. So this, this was two weeks, two weeks ago now, by the time the news came to us, the day that that happened, the Ivy Leagues had already canceled their spring sports. Um, a couple of the Division three schools that we compete against had already pulled themselves out of their NCAAs. A couple had canceled spring sports. But we were really hoping that Hopkins would hang tough and give these kids a chance because this was before – any any sort of uh, U.S. government, any sort of U.S. government conversations happened about the coronavirus. So we still thought that there was this bubble that we were in, mm-hmm. and so we were like, "Man, we just don't want to take away this opportunity from our athletes. This is a really big deal." Yeah, um, and we had been training really well. The team was in a good place. Um, 
we had a we have a heck of a group of kids that had busted busted their butts all year. Selfishly, it was the first year that I had been responsible for a group of kids, so I wanted to see how they responded to my training. Sure. So we're in half the group was in was swimming. Half the NCA group was swimming two Thursdays ago, and they're having normal practice, and we're texting back and forth in the coaches group. Um, you know, I heard this, I heard that. Hey, up at Tufts University, um, this coach that I know said that we're, they're doing this and none of it is real answers. And then finally, we're on the deck coaching and uh, our head coach gets a phone call in his office and it's 30 minutes long. And I'm like, yeah, I know what he oh. says. Mm-hmm. And so he calls our full-time assistant, her name's Marge, into his office and they talk for a little while. I stay out on the deck. Um, I, I believed there needed to be one coach that had plausible deniability of not knowing what was going on mm-hmm. because I need, I wanted the kids to just enjoy every last minute of training before they found out what was going on. And I didn't want to lie to them if they asked me if I knew what was going on. Yeah. So I right. stayed on the deck. I was having fun with them, you know, having conversations, chewing the fat with them, doing little uh, really bad dances. They really like upbeat music when they're swimming. So I'm dancing along to it. And our two coaches are talking in their office and then they come out half the other half of the team that's still on campus is called to the pool deck. So they're standing there in their clothes and I'm still telling the people in the water. Yeah. Hey, keep going, keep going. And by that time they're looking at me like, yeah, all right, we'll just keep going then. Cause they knew what was going on. Everybody knew everyone knew what was going on. And I was just, we were just waiting on our, uh, the two head coaches to pull everyone out and talk to them. We do that. Um, it's a really emotional meeting with everybody. We let them know Hopkins has pulled us out of the NCAAs. We were going to leave in three days, I believe Mm. all spring sports are canceled and it's recommended that you guys go home because, and I think Hopkins was talking about doing remote classes because spring break was about to start and they were going to do remote classes after spring break. So it was really tough. The kids looked at each other, you know, a few of them understood. Most of them just wanted answers and were like, how can this be happening? That was really hard for us because we were pulling, we were taking away something from these kids that they were looking forward to since September. And in some of them who kept their because division three you don't have to train in the summertime you're not we're legally not allowed to tell them to train because in division three when the season's over it's over you can't coach them oh mm-hmm. i didn't know that yeah yeah but some of them who stay engaged stay training you know april through september on their own time some of those kids were looking forward to this year's ncas since last year's ncas and some of them are seniors. And so there's just this big uh, disappointment bubble that burst and kind of washed over us on the pool deck. And people were crying, consoling each other. Yeah. And so a couple kids decided we had to leave in like 10 minutes because our coach asked, um, he asked our person who was in charge, he, he said, um, hey, can we throw in some time pads and do something real quick? And they were like, no, we got to get them out of here and like right now. They have to go wow, home. Really? Yeah, we couldn't they, even they set up a little mini right there. We had wow. all, yeah, yeah, yeah. We had all the timing equipment. And listen, I'm not saying this uh, with anger towards Johns Hopkins. They were doing exactly what they needed to do. Now that we have yeah. know, uh, some hindsight, and in the moment, I wasn't angry either. It was just like, oh man, this sucks. Just disappointing. Yeah. It's it, it yeah. was. It was tough. It was tough. Um, so a couple of the kids said, "Hey, we got five minutes. Let's just do." Uh, a couple kids did a fast 50 free 
And then a co- our girls, our four fastest sprint girls did a 200 free relay. And this one kid, um, he's our, he was our fast 200 stroke swimmer. I don't know if he'd want me to say his name. It was a really cool moment, but I'll just keep his name to ourselves. Okay. He's a, one of our fastest 200s of stroke swimmers. And he, he took the time to do an 800 warm up. Uh, he threw a suit on and in our little, little six super shallow six lane pool. That's not very fast on a stopwatch on, but on video so we can verify it. He broke our team record in the event. He swam by a half second and it was really sad because we all knew he wasn't going to want like his name on the record board because it wasn't done when it counted. Yeah, and and he said that he said you know I didn't do it when it counted so and he was like really sad because he if he did that in our pool unshaved which shaving is a big deal in swimming it takes off a lot of time he was ready to do something pretty special and so kids like that yeah kids like that it kind of hurts my heart that it was taken away from them yeah seniors they're done the unique thing about division three is. They're not, these aren't kids that are going to be competing for the Olympic team. So they're, I would say 99.9% of division three swimmers that are done with their sport. There's no, Hey, I'm going to keep going at this. Right. Okay. Yeah. And these Hopkins kids, they're neuroscience majors and they're pre-med and they have, they go to labs five days a week. So a lot of them are like, yeah, I'm just going to do the next thing that I've got going on, which is something pretty awesome. But they're still really sad and they still feel like there's something that was taken away from them. Yeah, I'm wondering what the closure is going to be like. Yeah, and I don't I don't really think there is going to be closure from something like this, if I'm yeah. being honest. I'm not even being pessimistic. I mean, I still feel untied threads, you know, from my own sports experience. And I got to do four, four years of college and three years of post-grad. So to have an entire season taken away and I don't, you can tell me if it's similar in track and field um, Brooke, but Don mm-hmm. knows that in swimming, it's all on the NCAs. You're, it's, it, that's your entire season yeah. and that's it. So for us at Hopkins, and it's actually interesting, the parallel that we had at Texas, our conference meet um, was not very fast. We, we had two other schools in our conference that were not fast at all. So it didn't really feel like the end of the season really for anybody, even if they didn't get to go to NCAAs. NCAs was the big kahuna at Texas and at Hopkins were unconference. So these kids didn't even get a conference meet. Um, Mm. And so I actually know exactly how they feel because I'm putting myself in the headspace of what if I was ready for NCAs? Big 12s just happened. Okay, great. Big 12s. And then in March, um, the season got canceled. And I can tell you, I would feel so jobbed, so gypped. Yeah, I would. I, I'd be so angry and have no place to put it because I wouldn't feel like I was allowed to be angry, and that creates a spiral that I'm. I'm hoping these kids aren't feeling, but I can imagine. Of I'm angry, I don't deserve to be angry. That makes me angry because yes, I do deserve to be angry about this. Um, that that can be a tough place to be, but. Uh, like I said, when I first started talking about Hopkins, these are all really good kids with really bright prospects and yeah, I'm sure they will be fine, but it is a tough thing for athletes to deal with. Yeah. I mean, talking about it, I just think of the boycott in 1980 Olympics or so. Oh. Right? Was it 1980? I'm not. It was off, 80. Yeah. And yeah. that's, I mean, yeah. I can't even imagine that. Yeah. I, yeah. I can't even imagine how that had 
affected so many athletes from that standpoint Mm -hmm. that realm and here we are kind of in a similar situation not so much political but yeah yeah and when you're an athlete and you're you've invested so much emotional capital into yourself especially individual sports yeah you know I, I, I'm not going to claim to know anything. I wasn't even alive in 1980, but I bet a lot of them right. said, well, what, what is this geopolitical stuff? Just let me go compete my sport. Just like, just yeah. let me go. I don't care about politics. Oh man. What are some ways do you think, um, as a coach for friends or family that aren't familiar with being an athlete that can sort of help their, their athletes right now when they're at home trying to, go through and and talk about all of this, do you think the number one thing is to just listen or, I mean, create, let them be able to talk. I don't really know what they can do to help. That would be best, but you've been in with all, all your athletes right now. So I'm wondering like what type of advice. Have you been in touch at all as well? Yeah. Yeah. With our athletes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, We've been trying to, but not really. I think everybody's in a waiting period of what's going to happen next. Are we even going to get to come back to school? Right. Well, that's true. No one really wants to. It's kind of like when the stock market's down, you Mm -hmm. only lose if you sell. And that's the only time that it becomes real. I think nobody wants to engage with this reality yet by, you know, reaching out and speaking to each other, because then that acknowledges that this is real. Um, Mm -hmm. I think everybody wants to wait for everything to shake out before they engage with what's going on. Um. All the kids that are home. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know. I'm just thinking as a parent what you. I mean, I I can. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's the same thing for a parent of anybody that's struggling. Um, It depends on the relationship with the kid. But the number one thing is to listen. And um, that sucks is a really powerful phrase. I use it a lot myself. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. just saying that sucks instead of offering solutions or give make trying to make them feel better or give them tools. I think giving them time, grieve is a really strong word, especially when people, you know, are suffering way worse from the coronavirus, but everyone's problems are their own. So I'm going to use it in this context. They're grieving the loss of their season. And I think they should be allowed to feel like they are doing that. So giving them space to do so, being there for them um, and not just, Hey, why don't you go work out today? Like no one really wants to hear that. They, they're these kids, uh, Don, you talked about that. You like staying in shape and that's kind of why you kept swimming. Right. Yeah. So for me right now, I, I hate working out. So I, I have not been working out and these kids they're the working out for them has been a means to an end for mm-hmm. one, two, three years. Yeah. So the last thing they want to do right now is work out. The last mm-hmm. thing they want to do right now is swim. So even though nudging them a little bit, hey, you know, maybe it'll make you feel better if you go swim or maybe it'll make you feel better. Uh, I, I think take what you're going to suggest and then cut it in half. Hey, maybe go for a five-minute walk today. Um mm-hmm. Hey, why don't you just go do like three pull-ups on this pull-up thing that you can put on a door and just call it a day. Um, that I would say that is what to do because the sense of loss that they felt is way bigger than people can understand. 
and they probably don't feel like they're allowed to feel that sense of loss because other people are experiencing so much worse than just the loss of a sports season. Did you kind of experience that yourself after 2016 trials and with your own parents or? Um, yeah, yeah, I did because I actually went back to go live with them. <laughs> so I was in the house with them all the time and they, yeah, they'd say, Hey, why don't you go swim? I'm like, I don't want to swim, mom. Like, leave me alone. <laughs> leave me alone. To, for the record, his mom swam in college. Oh, yes. Gosh. Wow. So yeah, yes. you weren't My, kidding when you said you have two ath- like athlete parents. Yes. For, for real, these athlete parents. My, yeah. mom, my mom was one of the best in the world at her event when, uh, when she was in college. So they both knew what I was going through, but it still, it still didn't make me want to hear what they had to say. Um, cause it's still my journey and I still had to figure it out for myself. Yeah. It's personal. It is absolutely. Mm-hmm. And so when I'm losing this sport that I was sick of, but still missed, um, if we are talking about 2016 now, I had to find my way back to it in my own way, in an organic kind of way. And I didn't really work out that regularly for a couple months. And what actually got me back into it was pickup basketball. Because, wow. yeah, because when you get to our love, when you get to um, a certain level in swimming, it's not really. <sighs> This is going to sound strange because Michael Phelps will probably say something completely different. But for me, (laughs) it was not about competing anymore against other people. Mm -hmm. It was just about, can I get my times faster? Because Mm -hmm. I'm in my lane with myself, not necessarily racing the guy next to me, even though that's what you're supposed to do to make the Olympic team. There's not like, you know, you're not on a basketball court with someone when you're in a swimming pool and trying to box them out for a rebound, right? You're not trying to push them out of the way you can't block them from touching the wall. Right. So when you're not in college anymore and you're not competing against people regularly with dual meets, dual meets, big 12s, NCAs, and you're just kind of going to this meet one month, going to another meet two months later as a pro, Mm. I personally lost the taste for competition in swimming. So I needed to find something that I could play to get that sense of competitiveness back. And I needed to find a team too. That's so, so cool. Yeah. So pickup basketball actually helped me find my way back to swimming because that was my outlet for um, positive male camaraderie. Yeah. Everybody's on the same page. They're competing their hearts out. Mm-hmm. It's low stakes and it's, and it's real competition against someone else. And I can get, and get really pissed at the other people when we're playing. Yeah. But then it's low stakes. It doesn't affect my life like losing NCAs when you're a scholarship athlete does. Mm-hmm. So that felt like a really nice way, a, a nice entry point back into doing sports. And then what got me back into swimming was actually doing swim clinics with kids and realizing um, these kids come to these clinics, they buy tickets, they talk to me because of what I had already accomplished in swimming. So that's a nice ego boost, which I needed, which I needed after getting my butt kicked by, you know, the best swimmers in the world for a couple of years that, Oh, I actually did some, do something pretty cool. Mm -hmm. And so then it's okay. I guess it is okay to start swimming again, reset how I think about myself as a swimmer, what I want to do. And that is what got me into coaching because it was okay. It is, it is okay to be in swimming again. You didn't, miss out on anything the last three years you just chose a path now make the best of that path oh, i really like that i was not expecting you to say uh pick up basketball i still do it to this day um 
I don't know if any of them will hear this, but shout out to the to the Foxhole guys. That's our team. We've been a team for three years now, and I'm friends with these guys now through pickup basketball. Which, and maybe maybe you can speak to this. Maybe Don can speak to this. But I felt this more than most people that I thought I was just kind of done making friends because yeah. because the college athletic experience is so powerful. There's not really a f- like a friend's machine as powerful as that. Agreed. <laughs> Do you guys yeah. know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. The sport from the sport aspect cuz you're holed up together. Mm-hmm. Like you yeah. said, man, we spent what, 20 hours a week practicing? 20 20 <laughs> Yeah. Forget and about you that. Meals together, you yeah. Yeah. And then Brooke, and I'm assuming you lived with your with your teammates as well, right? I did, yeah, through uh, junior year and then senior. I was in D.C., but yeah. I, yeah, so for mm-hmm. me, there was no real friend cooker like that since college. Right. <laughs> yeah. So having just having that pickup basketball, that was an, the outlet I needed for the camaraderie, the competition, the fraternal aspect, having a group of people that are mentally on the same page as me. Mm-hmm. Um, that, oh, people do actually care this much about it because <laughs> I can tell you places where I couldn't use that as an outlet were – they we had this social league in Baltimore called Baltimore Social. Mm-hmm. And you guys have probably played in them before, but it's those social leagues where you can play kickball with a group of people, get bat- get together, play dodgeball. Those are the worst. I'm so bad. Like I get too competitive. Oh, my kickball. gosh. Kickball is supposed to be a social <laughs> thing, and I found out that I just get – no, Don, I'll take the hell out of you. I know you yes. <laughs> I needed you. I needed you on these games with me. So my yeah. fi- my fiance and Mo- her, her name is Molly. Her and I uh-huh. joined up with a couple friends um, on this on this kickball league. And here in Baltimore, they had this special league called Cup in Hand, where everybody has to Wait. play holding a cup of alcohol in their hands the entire time. <laughs> oh, that's and, like, the worst. You have to like it's one handed kickball. Yeah. So oh, it's, man. Uh, so it's these um, it's these co-ed teams with cup and hand kickball. Yeah. And the team we're on just, you know, they're, they're not coming out there to compete. And I don't blame they're them. They're coming out to hang having out. Having a good time. Yeah, uh-huh. that's why that it's the cup and hand rule. It's <laughs> yeah. to prevent it from getting too intense. So these, these <laughs> people are coming to hang out and have a good time. And pent up aggression, Austin here, who has no other outlet, <laughs> yeah. is coming out there, and I'm yelling at people for not like rounding second, like go home, go home, uh, and everybody just could not stand me at these things. So, oh no! So pick up basketball is the right place. Basketball yeah. was the way it, to go because everyone there is super angry all the time, oh, just like me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what I've learned. Pick up basketball, people play. Yeah, yeah. people were serious about it. And it's nice to be in a place. It really is the first place I've been to since college where everyone's on that same wavelength of competition mm-hmm. with me. That mattered so much um, because I didn't really didn't know where I was going to find it again. I'm like, oh, how can anybody care as much about anything as, as college swimmers? It's like, oh, well, actually, a lot of people do. They just, You just got to find them. Yeah, that's cool. Definitely. We're not allowed to play Uno together anymore. Oh, Don and I have a rule. We're not allowed to even like touch. Uno I recently cards. learned how to play Uno. And yeah. <laughs> Just so it, you know, that competitive. I don't like yeah. that game. Uno, <laughs> I didn't, it's, it's yeah. a pretty, it's a pretty volatile game. Like it is it, like you can, oh. it's kind of like, it, I feel like 
half the cards in Uno are like getting the blue shell in Mario Kart. Like the game can just and you like in Uno you can get that proverbial blue shell from Mario Kart when you're already winning, and it's just like so unbalanced. So yeah, I can see how two very competitive people would just lose it on each other playing Uno together. In a public, pl- it was not good. <laughs> yeah. The whole bar was like, what the hell? And then we didn't realize we were, we were just kind of like having, I mean, it was a fun time for us, but also no more Uno. So <laughs> yeah. anyways, fun side note. <laughs> so do either of you still require some sort of competitive outlet or is that not something that's um, as important to you as staying in shape, having friends, et cetera, et cetera? It's a good question. Um, I mean, from from a career perspective, I think there's always that competitive aspect. So, I mean, yeah. So you found uh, it in your job? Yeah, somewhat. Now, uh, now I'm starting to apply towards other jobs and stuff, and I'm finding like they they're taking they're asking you to take these aptitude tests and everything, and mm-hmm. you know, just the part of me is like, all right study up right now because i want to win this thing you know i transition it more into that Mm -hmm. um i swim uh, so like you like you said with basketball i actually found that master swimmers kind of have a similar outlet um not sure if you're ready for that but you know you have the guys who are like really casual and stuff but then like sometimes you find yourself racing at 200 i don't know why yeah you have a good group of guys so Yeah. yeah That is but, cool, um, man. I think yeah. that is something I'm jealous of, um, of people living in a town with a master's group of people there. Are these people your age or are they no. all? Oh, okay, okay, like, okay, okay. Yeah, well, it, it varies, right? We have as young as 23 to as old as um, really 65. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, you have recent college graduates who are coaching the age group team or working for a supplier. And then you have the older guys who played football in college and just use swimming as a transition because it's good. Or mm-hmm. you have actually ex-college swimmers. Like yeah. uh, I swim with a guy who swam at UGA. Uh, occasionally, there's an old UT guy who comes in. That's a that's quite a group of heavy hitters. It, it's a good network. Yeah, I'd say, for so, sure. Actually, Masters is probably a good canvas for me to kind of paint a picture of where I'm at with swimming, which is I I just still have never gotten back that yeah. that tr- that compete against other people part of swimming, which sounds sad, sounds empty, but it's actually great. Because again, mm-hmm. like I get my competitive fill from the basketball. Yep. Nice. And so when I swim, um, first of all, the master's group that's here in Baltimore, it's 6 a.m. It's the group that my mom does and my mom does open water and all of her friends just want to get in like 5,000 in an hour and a half and just yep. hack, yeah. a- hack away for an hour and a half straight. Yep. I swim for 30 to 45 minutes. I never crack 1500 to 2000 and most of the time I'm just doing 15 yard sprints either attached to a power rack or a power tower which the bucket filled with water. So I'd love cool. to get access to a power rack and as, as a master. That would yeah. be it just saved me from working out or lifting. <laughs> it's it's really great man and yeah. what what I have done my mission in the past year since I've started swimming is 
derived from how I felt at the end of being a pro, which is I don't want to go to practice today, but I have to go. And, and my mission, my goal was just so fuzzy because I knew, I knew deep down I wasn't going to make the Olympic team. I missed it by over four seconds, which is a long way. And the, the people in my event are the two people that everybody knows in the swimming world, Michael Phelps and Ryan Lochte. Yeah. I had no shot against them. It's okay. It's not something that I feel bad about. It just is what it is, right? And so I'm lying to myself to get myself to go to swim practice that I didn't want to go to a lot of the time because the practices were so hard. Michael Phelps was in my group kicking my butt every day. <sighs> and so that just that is – it's it, – it, I don't really have an analogy, but just picture like it's carving out a part, a part of your love for the sport every time you make that decision to force yourself to do it, right? Right. It, it, the three parts are, do you want to do it? Is your goal strong enough that even if you don't want to do it, you can go and not cost yourself anything? Mm-hmm. And then is the training itself, um, do you like it, right? Yeah. So That's hard. Yeah. yeah. So I didn't want to do it. The training was tough and I was lying to myself about my goal. So I reframed things. I only do training that I want to do. Mm-hmm. My goal is only things that are reasonable, um, very chill goals. And people are probably going to listen to this and be like, oh, you have no ambition. It's like, well, you know, I I feel pretty good about the goals I have. But you and can keep it yourself, farther than a whole right? lot of other people. Not yeah, a whole lot. To, yeah. to add, you are a national champion. Yeah. In D1 yeah. individually. Damn. So. so I'm not telling people dream smaller. I'm just saying, give yourself, don't lie to yourself about your goal. And then the third thing is I only do training that I like. Mm -hmm. And so I go to, so what I do is I go to the pool. I have a template for my training. It's I got to do X today, Mm -hmm. but to accomplish X, I only do what I want to do. And that is, that could change in the moment. It could change every second. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I get out when I want to get out. And when I go to the weight room, I have a couple of, I know the exercises I need to do. I do the Mm -hmm. reps and the weight that I need to do and, or that I, excuse me, the reps and the weight that I want to do and that's it and I'm done. And so what has grown out of that, which was my theory is a training plan, a training plan that has grown, a training plan has grown out of this and I have gone along a training cycle I was getting ready to do a meet this weekend, actually, that I was resting and going to shave for to try and get a hundred free trial cut, Oh, which is a bummer because I could have, yeah. you know, added another, another piece of credibility to what I'm doing right now. But mm-hmm. it's a, a, a training plan organically grew out of that because then what I wanted was, okay, well, I want to go up from what I did next week. I want to lift this much more weight than I did last week. I want to... Um, work on this more or less today. And then when it's tapering, it's okay, I want to go down in reps or go down in weight. And tapering, um, tapering is just going down in training so that your body um, super adapts and you go super fast to your big meat. So what grew out of it was this organic training plan that came from a place in me that I, that I like. Mm-hmm. And the goal was reasonable to make a trial cut in the hunter free, which I had done twice before. And, um, and how I was doing it was a way that was never taxing on, uh, this might sound a little cheesy, but a little, it was never taxing on my soul to do it. It was always what yeah. I want. It was always what I wanted to do. 
Mm-hmm. And then I had basketball to let out the competitive side of things. So that's kind mm-hmm. of how everything has has spread out. And you find yourself really going after like more competitive with yourself, right? I mean, it sounds like your goals are more towards your time, like you said, not having to not necessarily beat the person in the next lane. Although, you know, if you're feeling good, you're going to beat the person in the next lane, but you're more, I should know I swim by myself. Okay. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I swim by myself. Once a week I swim with a friend. His name's Tony. He's an awesome dude, but we swim in the same lane together, one in front of the other. And I, I, this is not a slight on him. It's okay. If he hears this, I'll toss to his face. I cannot, I cannot care less what he's going. I could, I don't reframe it relative to what I'm doing because I don't care. It's all about what I want to do on that day. And what we've talked about is, okay, here's the template. We're going to do this set every week. Mm -hmm. And however each of us are feeling, we're going to do it however we each want to do it on a given week. And so that way I'm not doing what Tony wants to do and Tony's not doing what I want to do. Mm -hmm. We each are just getting what we want out of a very general template that we do every week together. That's nice. I think yeah. that's probably what I like most about my master's group. We don't have a coach. We're just like call out sets. <laughs> like one day, Jim, he's the ex Georgia guy, just said, We're going to do 40 25s on 30. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody lists out five 25s what we're doing. It was like, Okay. That we're sounds doing like that. A, that sounds awesome. <laughs> It's it's great. Honestly, master swimming, when I say master swimming, my idea of master swimming is getting in with a bunch of ex-college athletes mm-hmm. and just shouting out sets that we it's, all agree upon. And it sounds like you guys it's so as much an, better. You guys as an organism are doing kind of what I'm doing as as a single person, right? Yeah. It's yeah. it's growing exactly. out of what the group wants together. Exactly. I think, I mean, honestly, that's probably one of the biggest reasons why I still swim so much. Mm -hmm. It's so is the the takeaway uh, down with coaches? Is that what we're doing? No, not at all. (laughs) Not at all. Do you have any parts of parting words of wisdom as far as the transition? Anything that you would give yourself back in, say, 22, as far as how your transition happened and what? advice would be useful? Yeah, absolutely. Um, self-care is very important. And so I think I'm going to tie the advice based on a few things that I said. Number one, don't rush it. Don't feel like you have to, you have to do something. Always do things from a place of this is what I want to do. Um, and if not, then make it, if it's not something you want to do, then make it towards a greater goal, a greater good or a group. Take your time, find ways to ease yourself out of the sport. Um, Swim Slam is an excellent resource for news in in the swimming world, but I hate the concept of being a swammer where you, (laughs) when swimmers are done, they make this big, long Instagram post. Hey, I'm a swammer Uh, now. I'm done swimming forever. And it's like you're dead or something. It's like, well, actually, you're 22 years old. Um, you're not going to not want to swim anymore. So maybe go do masters once a week just to get out of your system. Yeah. And then uh, number three is um, stick with your friends from the sport because they're all going through it together. And just be honest with them about what you're all going through. You don't have to pretend like it doesn't suck <laughs> to lose your sport. Go through it together. Um, go experience life outside of swimming together and that will help your relationship with each other evolve and then you guys can all grow beyond your sport together that's such good 
good advice that I wish I would have heard uh, coming out of the sport because the last component that you said with um, talking to your teammates, I don't, I didn't, I just, you know, tried to pretend like it wasn't actually happening. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I feel like that's, that's really important. That's kind of one of the reasons that Don and I even like connected so much was just being able to talk about things that we hadn't before and then now have this podcast and hear that we're not alone is really cool. So Yeah, you're not. And yeah. I, w- I wish I had, I was speaking to, I wish the 22 year old me was on this call as well, hearing that for sure. And, and I want people to know that they're not alone if, if they're, and there's no shame in feeling what they're feeling towards their sport, because like I said, it's, it's the, it's the friend cooker. It's the most impactful experience of most people's lives by the time they're 22 or 23. And so losing it and also losing it without closure, like the vast, vast majority of people do is not easy and not something that people should feel ashamed of feeling. 